here this morning with you folks. Wish you a very happy Sabbath. And uh, last time I was here, I think it was about five years ago. And um, it's a blessing to be back. My wife was not able to make it this morning. She's at the women's retreat, but she says to tell you hi. And uh, we're so excited to be able to come back to Modesto finally after such a long period of time. We've done uh, four meetings in this area in the past seven or so years. Uh, one here in Parkwood Church, another one in Central Church in Turlock and Ceres. And uh, this coming May, we're excited to see what the Lord is going to do in this place. And we're just grateful for the opportunity to be a part of it. Thank you so much to the pastor of the church and the leadership for the invitation. Uh, last night, we actually began our first meeting of the year in the Madeira Church. And uh, the church was packed last night. There was uh, more visitors from the community than there were church members. And it was a beautiful, beautiful sight. There was enthusiasm. There was, a, there was, a, there was energy in the room. And, and uh, we will continue on tonight and for the next three weeks. And so uh, please keep us in prayer for that. Um, but I'm glad I got the chance to sneak away this morning to be with you folks uh, today and this afternoon to talk about evangelism and our reaching out and just to discuss things that concern the heart of God. And that is souls in the kingdom of, of, of heaven. Amen? And so we're going to have a special orientation meeting this afternoon, right after Pollock at around 2 o'clock. Uh, maybe we can start a little bit earlier if, 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 if possible. But we want to encourage you folks to join us for Pollock. And then after that, we'll come back right in this room and have that orientation meeting. I have some very important and very powerful things to share. And so please make sure that you're not missing uh, for, that, for that time together. This morning, the message that God has laid on my heart to share, I've entitled it, The Prerequisite for Pentecost. The Prerequisite for Pentecost. And uh, we want to begin with a word of prayer, so if you'd please bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for allowing us to be in your house, in this sanctuary, this place of safety, this place of refuge and rest. And Lord, we pray that you would please show us your glory. May the Shekinah glory of God be made known to each heart today. And I pray, Lord, that you'd give us eyes to see you like we've never seen you before. And give us spiritual ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And bless us now as we study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our message, our Bible study, the prerequisite for Pentecost. Friends, as we consider the world that we live in today, it is no surprise that our world is coming apart. We live in a very crazy, chaotic world. Terrorism all around us. We live in a world where the moral fabric of society is being torn apart. Economic instability, political corruption, international unrest, wars and rumors of wars. We are living in a crazy world where sin abounds and it seems like evil is always triumphing over the good and the just and the righteous. This is not the world that God wants us to remain in. And I'm so grateful that in this crazy chaotic world, God has a evacuation plan set in motion to take us away from this place to a new place, his eternal kingdom where sin will be no more. We live in a world that is so cold, where lawlessness and lovelessness is abounding and the hearts of individuals are growing cold, colder than an Arctic winter. 
And while this world is growing so cold, God is calling us as his people, as his church, to gather warmth from the coldness of others. We need the fire that warms our hearts this morning, and we're going to find out through the study of the word that as the world is coming apart, God is calling us to come together to draw warmth from one another and warmth from the fire of his Holy Spirit. And just by way of introduction, I want to read some scriptures in the Bible that I always had trouble with because I never saw or could see the fulfillment of these promises, these scriptures that are so challenging. I have it on the screen. And I encourage you to write it down if you're accustomed to bringing a notebook to church. If you take your Bible and open with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 60, we find a beautiful promise from the Lord. Isaiah chapter 60, beginning with verse 1, the Bible says, Our eyes shine. For thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. In verse 3 it says, that as a result of the light of the glory of God shining upon God's people, in a world that is filled with gross darkness, verse 3 tells us that the Gentiles, the unbelievers, shall come to thy light. And the kings of the earth to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see all they gather themselves together. And they come to thee. Thy son shall come from afar and thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Then verse 5 says, then thou shalt see and flow together and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged. Because the abundance of the what? The sea, that's the multitudes of people, the Gentiles, the, the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, and the forces or the resources of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. This is a very powerful prophetic promise. The Bible tells us in a world of darkness and coldness that the, the Lord himself and his glory will rise upon his church. And when this takes place, the Gentiles, the, the, the multitudes, the, the sea of humanity will look upon God's people. They will see the glory of God. They will see something different in the lives of church members. And they're going to come and they're going to come to the knowledge of Jesus. They will be converted and the resources will be put into the treasuries of the Lord for a finished work at last. A very powerful promise. But the question is, where is the fulfillment of this promise? Where do we see this happening today? And then I love what it says in Isaiah 55 and verse 5. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall do what? Run to you. Why? Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has done what? Glorified you. The Bible tells us that the nations will come to God's people. They're going to they're gonna come, they're going to want to follow us, not because of us, but because of the glory of God that is shining in and through our lives. And then I like in Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 23, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men shall, uh, from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Very powerful prophetic promises. But the question is, where is the fulfillment of these promises? Why are these promises not being fulfilled as God would have them be fulfilled today? We know that God's word is sure. He cannot lie what he says it shall be. But the question is, will it be fulfilled 
in us, in this church, in this community? And if not, why not? Now, were these promises ever fulfilled in the past? The answer is yes. These promises are a fit description of what took place on the day of Pentecost when thousands upon thousands of people came to the knowledge of the Lord, baptized in joining God's church, the early apostolic church. You see, these promises were fulfilled in the past. It was fulfilled in the day of Pentecost, but the greater fulfillment of these promises is in the last days, in the final Pentecost movement before Jesus comes the second time. And so if we want to experience, and by the way, how many of you want to experience the reality of these promises? If so, let me hear you say amen. God desired more than we do. He wants this to be the reality of Modesto Parkwood Church and, and all of his churches around the world. And so we need to then look at what happened in the past to know how we can have that experience in the present. You see, whatever the early apostolic church experienced is what we need to experience. You see, they saw something that, that we need to see today. They, they heard things that we need to hear so that we might have this same experience. Well, what exactly did they see? What did they hear? What brought about a change, a dramatic change in their evangelistic efforts? Oh, friends, I want you to notice and consider the condition of the disciples after Jesus has, had resurrected from the grave. You see, when Christ died, their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations died with Jesus. They were bitterly disappointed. But even after Christ resurrected from the tomb, they were still in a state where they were not ready for Pentecost. Notice what it says. In the book of Matthew 28, verse 17, this is just before Christ gives the Great Commission. And it says, and when they saw him, they saw the glorified, resurrected Lord, the one that died but now is alive. They saw him, they worshipped him, but some did what? You see, even though Christ had resurrected, there were still doubts that were lingering in the hearts of the disciples. And then in this condition, Jesus gives the commission. And by the way, the, condition, the, the commission to go and preach to all nations was something that would help them to deal with their doubts. Because as we reach out, God reaches in and he stirs our hearts and builds and buttresses our faith. But we see, friends, that, that Christ resurrects and the disciples are still struggling with doubt. And then notice in Acts 1 verse 6, not only were they struggling with doubt, they were struggling with the spirit of competition still. And they were still looking for an earthly kingdom of earthly glory. And they asked uh, the, uh, the Lord in Acts 1 verse 6, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, would thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You see, even after the resurrection, the disciples still did not understand the, the nature of the kingdom that Christ came to set upon the earth. They were still looking for something earthly, still looking for earthly glory. They had a misunderstanding uh, 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 of the nature of the kingdom. And so, friends, what needed to happen between the resurrection and the day of Pentecost? What exactly took place that made all the difference because you see friends it wasn't enough for Christ to be resurrected now the disciples had to be resurrected in other words they had to enter into the resurrection of Christ for themselves and friends another word for resurrection is revival that word revival literally means to live again Christ had resurrected 
But now the disciples, even though Jesus had resurrected, they were not ready for Pentecost because they needed to experience that resurrection. They needed to be revived. And so what brought about this revival experience? Before Pentecost, they went to a place where they got it right with God and with each other. They went into the upper room. It was That was the prerequisite for the power of Pentecost in that upper room experience when they prayed together. They united together in one spirit. They put aside their pride and their selfishness. They humbled themselves before God and before one another. They confessed their sins. They repented of their sins. This, my friends, is the prerequisite for the power of Pentecost. And I want to submit, friends, that we have not yet seen the repeat of Pentecost in these last days because we have not yet gone into that upper room experience searching for revival and seeking for it and praying for it with earnestness and agonizing with God in prayer and friends this morning this morning's message is very simple God is calling us to get ready for the final Pentecost in the last days for revival that will bring about reformation and restoration and redemption in our lives this is the prerequisite I want us to notice how important this is. Just a few quotations now. In Testimonies, Volume 3, page 429, it says, Christ here shows that there must be union with others, even in our desire for a given object. Great importance is attached to the united prayer and the union of purpose. God hears the prayers of individuals. Can you say amen? When we pray God, his ear is always open to our cry. But on this occasion, Jesus was given special important lessons that were to have a special bearing upon his newly organized church on the earth. There must be on what? Agreement in the things which they desire and for which they pray. The petition was to be the earnest desire of several minds centered on the same point. They could pray and pray as individuals, and God would hear those prayers, but there was a special power attended to the, to the united prayer when these disciples went into that upper room experience and they prayed together. They humbled themselves before each other. They were quick to make wrongs right between themselves and their God. And when God saw that, he saw that now his church was ready to be entrusted with the fire of the Holy Spirit that would light the world on fire for him and friends this is the this is no different for us in the last days god desires pentecost to happen again but the prerequisite for pentecost is for us as a church family to come together like we've never done it before to make wrongs right to let the lord unite us as one man as as in one spirit and then and only then will god be able to trust us with the abundance of the sea, with the multitudes in this city that must see and hear the things that we have seen and heard, that must know the things that we know, the truth that God has given to us to share to the world. God is waiting for the church to get ready for it. And the reason why our churches are not bursting at the seams is because God is waiting for us to come together in that upper room experience. Let me read you this most challenging quotation. And I want to encourage you as we read this, don't look around. Let's look within and search our hearts this morning. Amen? Let's look within. Why does God not bring many people into the church? Why do we not see multitudes being baptized every Sabbath? 
Testimonies, volume 6, 370 says, the Lord does not now work to bring what? Now notice, it doesn't say any, because God does bring some. Amen? It doesn't say any, but it says many. He does not work to bring many souls into the truth. Why? Because of the church members who have never been converted and those who were once converted but have backslidden. What influence would these unconsecrated members have on new converts? Would they not make of no effect the God-given message which his people are to bear? For the reason why there's not multitudes coming into the church is not because there's a problem with our message. There is no problem with the message. The message is of God. Not so much with the methods either, but rather it's us. Don't look around. Look within, friends. And we need to be searching our hearts and saying, Lord, am I a stumbling block? Am I the reason why there is not multitudes coming in? God wants to deal with this as we go into that upper room experience, individually as well as corporately as a church. I want us to notice the results of this prayer meeting that the disciples had in the upper room. Turn with me now to the book of Acts chapter 4. Notice what happened as a result of them coming together and praying and humbling themselves. In the book of Acts chapter 4, it tells us, we're just having a simple Bible study today. Nothing very deep, very simple. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, notice what happened when the disciples prayed together. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, if you're there, would you let me know by saying amen? The Bible says in Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So notice, they prayed, and as a result, they were filled. And as a result of being filled, they began to speak with boldness the word of God. And notice, this was the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 32, it says, it describes the condition of that early church and God's desire for the remnant church. Verse 32 tells us, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had how many things in common? All things in common. There was a unity, friends. One heart, one soul, one spirit. No one looked at themselves so much as an individual. They had all things in common. In verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. They gave, they gave a, a witness that was attended with great power. With great power they testified to the resurrection. And why? because his resurrection now became their very own. And it says that great grace was upon them all. Oh, friends, I don't know about you, but I see my, 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 my need of great power and great grace in my life. How about you? That's what happened when they prayed together. They were filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit. They spoke with boldness. Multitudes came to a knowledge of, of the Lord Jesus, the living, resurrected Lord. And it said great power and great grace, two things. And I want you to keep that in mind because these two things are indelibly connected together. Great power is the same thing as great grace. We're going to come back to that in, in just a moment. But how many of you would like to have this experience even more so in this church. Amen. Do you see that this is something that we need today? 
Well, friends, we need it more than we realize. I want us to notice, no one had any lack. They, they, they loved each other. They cared for one another. They had a genuine concern for each other. This was a church that didn't just come together uh, once a week on Sabbath and super, superficially said hi to one another. No, they, they prayed for each other and with each other. They had a concern for one another. And as, as a result, they were one, not fragmented and divided, but they were unified. And notice the mindset that these disciples had. It says in Acts of the Apostles, page 48, every Christian saw in his brother, what did they see? Not competition. They saw a revelation of divine love and benevolence. One interest prevailed. How many? And one subject of emulation swallowed up all others. One thing they had in, all things they had in common, but there was one thing that, 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 that was the focus of that early apostolic church. One interest, one subject of emulation, and what was that thing? Now, that one thing is actually broken up into two parts. That one thing is broken up into two main parts, and notice what it is. The ambition of the believers was to reveal the what? Likeness of Christ's character, and number two, to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. So notice, they're, they're brought together in unity in the upper room. They're filled with the Spirit, and the one focus they had was actually twofold. Number one, to be like Jesus. And number two, to share Jesus with the world. Number one, to know him. Number two, to make him known to the world. This is what consumed the early apostolic church. They were not concerned with other things that, 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 that did not really matter. The, the thing that they were focused on, oh, to, to, we want to be like Jesus. We want to be a revelation of the character of God. And we want to work to build up, to change the population of heaven, to increase it, and to decrease the population of hell. That was the focus of the disciples, and it came as a result of coming together in the upper room experience. That is what happened in the past, and it was powerful, but God wants it to repeat today in the present. Because we've been told in the book, Great Controversy. You like that book? If you haven't read it in a while, pick it up. It says in the book, Great Controversy, before the final visitation of God's judgments upon the earth, there will be among the people of the Lord such a revival of primitive godliness as has not been witnessed since when? Since apostolic times. Since the days of Pentecost. The spirit and power of God will be poured out upon his children. In other words, what happened at the day of Pentecost was, uh, was like the early reign, but, but what God is going to do in the latter reign, in the last days, is going to be far more powerful, far more dramatic. Truly, Isaiah chapter 60 is going to be fulfilled. The abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, God says. It's going to be powerful. But why can't it happen today? God is... We're not waiting for him. You know, we think we're waiting for Jesus to come, but really Jesus is waiting for us to come. Isn't that right? <laughs> you know, we like to say, Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Well, I like to say, Jesus is ready. Are you coming? <laughs> he wants us to come together, friends, to seek for this experience, to not just continue on with 
things as usual, as usual not uh, to be satisfied with stagnation and to be comfortable in, in Christian complacency. No, friends, the Lord wants to stir us up by His Spirit. He wants to light us up on fire. And when that happens, the world will take note. Did you notice, friends, that how fire, it, it always attracts attention? Isn't that right? Driving down the road and there's a fire on the side and, and you have traffic. Fire attracts attention. People want to slow it. People want to look at it and find out what's taking place. I remember as a young boy, I was always fascinated by fire, so much so that I, uh, one day I accidentally uh, uh, burnt down my, my friend's tent in the back of his yard. <laughs> Interesting how fire is, it, it draws you, it attracts you, it, it warms you up, it, it lightens the darkness, and that's what God wants this church to be, on fire for him. That which has been is that which shall be. But the question is this. What is going to cause the world to know the reality of Christ's loving salvation? I want you to notice as we turn now to the book of John, chapter 17. John, chapter 17, we find the Lord's Prayer. Jesus praying in Gethsemane just before going to Calvary. And friends, Jesus could have prayed for anything, but I want us to notice what was on his heart in these final hours of his time here before the cross. That which burdened the Lord, the, the prayer request that he gave and presented before his Father, notice what was on the heart of God, the things that concern Jesus. John 17, notice what it says now in verse 20. If you're there, would you please say amen? Christ is praying and he says, neither pray I for these alone. Talking about the disciples. I don't just pray for the disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Who is that? That's us. Who read the words of the disciples in the Bible and, and we believe in Jesus as a result of the testimony they gave in the word. Jesus was praying for us, friends. He had a burden, not just for the early church, but he had a burden for the last day church. And he was praying, but notice what he prayed for us, or how he prayed for us. Verse 21, that they may all be one. But what type of oneness? What type of unity did Christ desire for us? As thou, Father, are in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that thou has sent me. Jesus could have prayed for anything. But that which was on the heart of Christ in these final hours was for the oneness, the unity of the church. The oneness and the unity of Modesto Parkwood Church. That he would bring us together, that, 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 that nothing would divide us and separate us, that all the grudges and the resentment and the unforgiving spirit would be vanished and dispelled and consumed by the fire of his love. That we would come together and be quick to say, I'm sorry, and quick to say, I forgive you, and not let the devil divide us. Because, friends, let me tell you, the oneness and unity of God's church is Christ's greatest desire, but at the same time, it's Satan's greatest fear. The unity of us is Christ's greatest desire. This was his prayer request, but it's Satan's greatest fear. That's why he works overtime to divide us so that he can conquer us. 
United we stand. Divided we fall. You see, we pray to God and we are concerned and we want God to answer our prayers. Amen? But friends, we need to do for God that which we're asking Him to do for us. We need to answer His prayer requests. You see, this prayer request can be answered by our, our decision to come into the upper room, to allow the Lord to work in us, to bring us together, and to make us one. Unity was His request. Friends, we need one another. There's strength in numbers. We need one another. That's the purpose of the body of Christ. Every single person in this room, we all have a part to play in the plan of redemption. And there's something that you can do as an individual that only you can do that God wants to use you to accomplish. We need one another. It's, uh, evangelism is, is not a one-man show. It is the work of the Holy Spirit working through the church, through many individuals. In every single department, it's important in the eyes of God. I want us to notice. In the book Christian Service, page 10, it says, To everyone work has been allotted, and no one can be a substitute for another. In other words, each and every one of us, we're all important, from the, the, the little children to the, to the seniors and all those in between. God has given each one a work to do, and we can't substitute one another. Each one has a mission of wonderful importance, which he cannot neglect or ignore. As the fulfillment of it involves the will of some soul and the neglect of it, the woe of one for whom Christ has died. Friends, I truly believe and I'm convicted that whenever we do evangelism and, and reaching out, everyone is important. The greeter at the door is just as important as the preacher behind the pulpit. The one that is taking care of the children in the children's program is just as important as the one that cooks the meals. The one that cleans up the bathrooms is just as important in every single aspect. God is wanting to bring us together, and what we do, we do it with all our heart as unto the Lord and not to man, understanding that our role is significant in heaven's eyes. That was the mindset that these disciples, the, the early church had. And as a result, God was able to bless them. They were safe for him to bless with the power of Pentecost. And when souls coming into the kingdom, you see, friends, Satan wants to keep us separated. He wants to keep us divided. Remember, when Satan began, when Lucifer in heaven began to think as an individual, do you remember what happened? He, he began to think just about himself. I, 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 I will, I will. He began to think inwardly. And as a result, in the book of Isaiah 14, it tells us that the congregation in heaven was divided. He said, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. Friends, there was a congregation in heaven, and Satan split the congregation. Why? Because he began to think as an individual. And many congregations are being split today because people are thinking as individuals and, uh, instead of as, as a body with the mind of Christ. United we stand. Divided we fall. And that's what Satan wants to do. It says the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. Notice, steal first, then kill, then destroy. In other words, the only way he can destroy us is to first steal us away from Christ. What is that? That's separation. To steal us away from each other, to separate. 
That's what the act of stealing is, is to separate something from where it should, where it should remain or from, uh, to, to take something that, that, that is not yours and to separate it. So that's Satan's goal, to separate us so that he can destroy us. But God is wanting to bring us together. I want you to notice Desire of Ages 396, very simple uh, lesson we're looking at today. But notice what happens whenever a church such as you Step out in faith and decide we want to hold an evangelistic endeavor. We want to have a campaign to tell our community about God's present truth message of hope in the last days. Notice what the devil will do. Desire of Ages 396. Whenever the message of truth comes home to souls with special power, Satan stirs up his agents to start a dispute over some minor question. Thus, he seeks to attract attention from the real issue. He calls us to major in the minors and minor in the majors. Whenever a good work is begun, there are cavaliers ready to enter into dispute over forms or technicalities, to draw minds away from living realities. When it appears that God is about to work in a special manner for his people, what happens? Let them not be enticed into a controversy that will work only the ruin of souls. The question that most concerns us are, do I believe with saving faith on the Son of God? And is my life in harmony with the divine law? Friends, be on guard. As you folks have made a decision, we want to hold a, a campaign, a, a seminar to tell the community about Jesus and his special message in the last days. In making that decision, you have just declared war against Satan. And he's going to come after you. But friends, we have more to fear from within than without. The devil creeps within. He infiltrates. He wants to divide us so that he can conquer us. Don't let it happen, friends. Let us be prayed up. And let the word of God protect us from all the attacks of the enemy. Especially in the context of what we are seeking to do this coming May. Now, I want you to notice, I'm, I grew up in Hawaii. That's where I'm from. Any of you like going to Hawaii? It's a beautiful place. I'll never forget an experience I had. We went to this beach, the Wai, uh, Waimea Bay. It's a beautiful, one of the most beautiful beaches. All sand, white sandy beach. And uh, we were there uh, one day, uh, myself and a whole bunch of my friends. And we took different cars. We met there at the beach and we're swimming, having a wonderful time. We were there almost all day long, all the way until it was dark. We were the last ones to leave. And it was already dark by the time we started gathering our things together from the sand. And we're, gonna, we're, we're walking out to the parking lot when suddenly one of my friends, who was the main driver, he began to race with another one of my friends to see who could, who could get to the parking lot, to, who could get to the car first. And others, they had the spirit of competition. They were racing against each other. And when they got to the car, the driver realized that the key that was in his pocket was not there anymore. In his, in his desire to be first... To beat his friend, he lost the key. It fell out of, his, out of his pocket. And by the way, it fell in sand. And we're talking about hundreds of yards. This is a huge beach. And he was running the whole time. He had no idea when it left his pocket. It was just gone. And, and upon realizing that without the key, we would not be able to make it to our destination, what had, to, what had to happen. He had to turn around. He had to repent and go back to search diligently 
for the key. You see, what happens when we begin to compete with one another and look upon each other as competition, we lose the key and none of us will be able to make it to our heavenly destination. That's what happens when we have that spirit. So we went back and we started searching. And, and mind you, you can see this beach. It has hundreds of yards of sand. And it was dark. And by the way, it was just one key. <laughs> it wasn't a keychain with many keys. It was just one key. And we looked and searched, and there was about a, a dozen of us. We're all looking for this key. And we're all we're doing our own thing, looking at our own, all of us working as individuals, and it was impossible. We couldn't find it. As individuals, it was impossible to get it done. And so what happened was one of my friends decided he got a good idea. He said, well, why don't we all line up together? All across the beach, now we, we didn't take a picture of it, but here's a picture I found that illustrates. We, 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 we held hands and we lined up across the beach and, 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 we, and, and the, his idea was instead of running and, and, and trying to beat each other, let's walk together in unity. And each one just search for that key in the area that is right in front of him. And if we do this together, we'll be more successful than doing it as an individual. And the Lord was teaching me, this is exactly what my church should be like. We need to be walking together, friends. Not fighting against each other or competing against each other or working as individuals, but walking together with the same goal and purpose in mind. And as we walked together, each one doing his work, but together, we still didn't find the key. <laughs> you see, we were unified horizontally. But that wasn't enough. We also needed to be unified vertically. And so we're walking together. We still didn't find it until one of, uh, one of the little girls that was with us, my friend's niece, she had an amazing idea. She said, well, why don't we stop and pray? <laughs> and we're like, wow, that's, that's a great idea. So this, this little girl prayed. Simple prayer. Lord, help us to find the key so that we can go home. It wasn't about 10 seconds after she finished that prayer that the key was right there and we found it. What is the point? God wants us. He wants to take us home, friends. We have a destination and God wants all of us to get there together. It doesn't matter who gets there first or, or last. It doesn't matter as long as we're there together. But the only way we can get there together is to find the key. In order to find the key, we must be united horizontally and vertically, united with one another and united with our God, with Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? And the only way that this experience can be realized is if we have the mind of Christ. In, in Philippians, you can read it, write it down, when, read it when you get home. We don't have the time, but the Bible tells us that we need to esteem one another better than ourselves. Esteem your, your brother, your sister better than yourself. And then it says the only way we can have that mindset, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider robbery. He, he, he was in the form of God, but didn't consider robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. He put self aside. He didn't care about his reputation. He took upon the form of a servant. He humbled himself and went to the lowest. He wasn't seeking for the high position. He went to the lowest. 
The Bible says, let that mind be in you. And friends, when we have that mindset, it's then that God can trust us with the power of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit that will give us exponential results. Why? Because he knows that if, if he was to give us those results, we wouldn't attribute it to ourselves. We wouldn't steal the glory. It would all go to God. You see, God wants to make us safe for him to bless. Christ's greatest desire is unity. Satan's greatest fear is unity as well. And so I want you to notice what happens. Acts of the Apostles, page 20. In, this, in these first disciples was presented marked diversity. We're not talking about uniformity. Does, does, we're not talking about we all look the same and talk the same and whatnot. We're talking about unity. There is diversity, but there is unity in that diversity. They were to be the world's teachers, and they represented widely varied types of character. In order, to successful, in order successfully to carry forward the work which they had been called, what needed to happen? These men, differing in natural characteristics and in habits of life, needed to come into unity of what? Feeling, thought, and action. This unity, it was Christ's object to secure. To this end, he sought to bring them into unity with what? Himself. So the only way that they could be unified together be, uh, despite the fact that they had various different characters and different personalities, the only way that there could be unity in their diversity was if they were first unified to him, to Christ. That's what Jesus desires. And this is the reason why there's disunity. Adventist Home, page 179, tells us that the cause of division and discord in the families and in the church, she's about to tell us why churches and families are divided. Why there is problems in your marriage, in your family, and in the church. What is the main reason why there's division? It's not because we just have different opinions and different personalities. She gets to the root of the issue, and she said the reason why there's division and discord in families and in the church is separation from Christ. What brings separation from Christ? Tell me, friends, what is it? It's three letters. Sin separates us from Christ. Friends, the root of the issue is sin in one or both parties. If there is division in your marriage with your spouse, the root of it is sin in one or both parties. Sin is what divides, friends. Sin separates us from God, but it also separates us from each other. Therefore, the solution to unity in marriage and in the church is for to, is for us to let Jesus get rid of sin to remove it from our lives. To come near to Christ is to come near to one another. The secret of true unity in the church and in the family is not diplomacy, not management, not a superhuman effort to overcome difficulties, though there will be much of this to do, but what is it? Union with Christ. Picture a large circle, from the edge of which are many lines, all running to the center, just like this. Notice, the nearer these lines approach to the center, the nearer they are one to another. Thus it is with the Christian life. The closer we come to Christ, who is the center, the, the hub, the nearer we shall be to one another. And God is glorified as his people unite in harmonious action. You see, over here, all the different lines are separated, but the closer they come to the center, the closer they are to each other. That's the secret, friends. Unity to Christ brings about unity amongst ourselves. And then I like this, we're almost finished. The strength of God's people 
lies in their union with him through his only begotten son and their union with one another. Friends, listen, listen carefully. When we're united with Jesus vertically and then united with each other horizontally, it's then that we have a cross-centered experience. And when the cross is lifted up, Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We might be united to Christ as an individual vertically, but friends, there's still a horizontal unity that Christ is, is seeking for. And then when it's vertical and horizontal, it's then that the multitude of the sea shall be converted unto us. It's then that God will be able to trust us with the power of Pentecost in these last days. Amen? Now as we close, what makes this perfect unity a living reality? Oh, friends, let me just ask you first, how many of you want to have this cross-centered experience? Do you see your need of it? In every church, this is a need, and especially a church that is seeking to reach out. Let's come together, friends. Let us prepare our hearts so that this uh, meeting, this reaping series we're going to have, uh, it, it, we will have the results that God wants us to have. But what makes this unity a living reality? I want us to notice, remember, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus told the disciples just before they went into the upper room, he said to them, but you shall receive, what is that word? Power. After that, you have, after that the Holy, Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Notice, they can only be a witness as they have the power of the Holy Ghost. They received that power in the upper room, and their witness on Pentecost was amazing. But the question is this. What was that power? It was the, the Holy Spirit brought the power, but the Holy Spirit is not the power. The Holy Spirit was, was that which brought it. But what specifically was the power? that brought them together. The Bible tells us and defines to us what the power of God is in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 tells us, but the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. Friends, according to this passage, what is the power of God? It's the preaching of the cross. You see, what the disciples experienced in the upper room, that power that the Holy Spirit brought, was the power of the cross, the power that, that says, not my will, but thy will be done, the power that puts ourselves down and self-perishes, self is put to death. That was the power, friends. The power that said, you're better than me. I'm nothing. I deserve to die. Self must be crucified. It was the power of the cross that the disciples experienced, that vertical and horizontal unity that they had, the power of the cross. Because, friends, listen very carefully. When you look upon the cross, what do you see? When you see the cross, you see perfect separation that brought about perfect unity. At the cross, perfect separation that brings perfect unity. At the cross, Jesus was perfectly separated from the Father because of our sin so that we can be perfectly united to God. Jesus at the cross was perfectly united to our sins 
so that we can be perfectly united to his righteousness. He was perfectly separated from God so that we can be perfectly separated from sin. United that we might be separated and separated that we might be united. Oh, friends, I'm thankful for Jesus. How about you? When we allow Satan to separate us from each other, we are making the cross of none effect. And we give Satan a chance to accuse God. This morning, let's answer the prayer of Christ. Let us allow the unselfish principle and love displayed at the cross to unite us to God and to each other. And only then will we experience the power of Pentecost. And then the world will know that Jesus Christ is truly the sent of God, the Savior, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you like to have that experience? Amen. Let us pray to that end. And at this time, as we close, I invite you, if you want to have that experience, I invite you to stand with me as we sing a closing chorus, a very simple song, In my life, Lord, be glorified. In my home, Lord, be glorified. Let's stand together as we sing that song, In my life, Lord. I invite the singers to come. Maybe you can help us to lead. Appreciate that. And let us make this song the prayer of our lives today. Let's sing together. In my life, Lord. In my life, Lord, be glorified. church Lord you to put your arm around the person next to you as we hold each other we allow the Lord to hold us in his arms today and be glorified in our lives let us pray father in heaven we thank you so much for your goodness we thank you Lord for the blessing we've received through the study of your word this morning and Lord we pray that the things that we have cogitated upon the things that we have studied that these would just not be nice words and elevated thoughts but may this be the experience of this church. Please, Lord, forgive us for the things that we've allowed to separate us from you and from one another. Lord, I pray if there's any grudges, if there's any divisions in this church, that today, that, that, that this week, that those, all those wrongs will be made right, that those who are struggling with bitterness and an unforgiving spirit, that you would free them from that bondage and that you please 
Help us to humble ourselves before each other and before you. Give to us the upper room experience that we might have the power of Pentecost. Thank you, Lord, for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, folks. We want to remind you after potluck.